Welcome to the End of Days Conference hosted by Rhema Family Church in February 2016. Our guest speaker is Reverend Joseph Morris. You know, I've heard people say about the book of Revelation that it's a book of worship, that the whole book is about Him being revealed and we worship Him as King. Amen? Wow, we're, we're getting into all the end times things because we're about to meet Him face to face. I know the protocol for that. The Lord hammers me over, not hammers me, but, but pushes me over and over to make sure people know how much He loves them. So the whole th purpose of the end time teaching is, hey, he's excited to see you. He's looking forward to see you. There's an expectation. My daughter, I told you she lives in Orlando and I live in Tulsa. She's coming to my nephew's wedding in a couple weeks. I'm already plotting how to bless her, how to surprise her. Can't wait to see her. I keep trying to do like a Jedi mind trick over her, like you'll move to Tulsa. <laughs> Hadn't worked, but anyway. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but just, I, even, I'm, I'm so thrilled with her marriage, so thrilled with her husband. They have a wonderful life, but I still can't wait to see them and talk to them. And if I feel that way, think of how much the Father is towards you. If we have an, just an edge of His love, think of how He is towards you. The expression of that love, just to, to bless you throughout eternity. Mm, it's just amazing. So grab your Bibles. And we're going to take a little a session I wanted to do. Go to uh, James, if you would. I want to get into what the church is supposed to look like before we depart. And then tonight we'll get into the millennium. Because there's so much uh, about the millennium that's so cool. So we just finished up on a little bit of the tribulation, a little bit of the second coming. We'll pick back up with the second coming tonight for a second. And then get right into the millennial reign of Christ. And man, it's just all cool. So go to James chapter 5, though. I want to look at what, what the church is supposed to, what we're supposed to look like before we leave. I've said it several times. We people wonder, hey, what's it going to be like right before the Lord comes back? Look at the book of Acts. Go Acts 6, Acts 5, Acts 4, Acts 3, Acts 2. He finishes like he starts. It started an outpouring of power. It'll finish like that. Without weirdness or strangeness, but God using everybody. But let's look at the scriptures here. James 5 is kind of an end time chapter. And he gives you some elements to, to look at so that we know how we ought to walk. You know, if I don't know what I'm supposed to walk like, I don't know what to do. I like that John said, if you say that he's in you, you'll walk just like Jesus walked. And I've heard people say, well, what am I supposed to be like? Look at Jesus. You're supposed to be just like him. And you know, that word uh, in John 14 says you do the same works that he did. It's the word parallel, that you could walk and your, walks are, your works are identical to Jesus' works. That your life is an expression just like well, just like. His life is a total expression of the love of the Father. Your life should be a total expression of the love of the Son. And that's why he said, just as I've represented the Father, you're going to do the works that I'm doing, you're going to represent the Son. So, but watch this end time climate in James 5. James 5 is all about end time. So go to James chapter 5 and look at the latter part of verse 3. You've heaped treasures together for the last days. So he's talking about the last days. And then he skips over to verse 7 and he gives you some, some thoughts here that we, we won't spend a lot of time on because I want to keep moving. But verse 7, be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and he has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, stabilize your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So he gives you a couple clues there about what we're supposed to look like, and that's not what I'm preaching on this session, but patience and stability, patience and stability. Be just as patient as he is, stabilize your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So there's something about... Patience keeps you in position so you don't miss something. Stability keeps you from floundering. So there's an element there that he's looking for right before he returns. And then he gives you kind of a, 
a reason to be patient and stable. Look at verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord's very pitiful and of tender mercy. So he even clarifies why to be patient and stable. You have something to look forward to. What did Job look forward to? We know that that, that which he greatly feared came upon him, but you read the rest of the story, he got double of what was lost. He's trying to show you there's a purpose for being patient and stable. In time church should be double of what early church was. That's, that's righteous, amen? So that's, he doesn't say, be patient, be stable, be patient, be stable, be patient. No, he tells you to be patient and stable so you remain in position for finishing off the church age like it should be. Because we all know, you all know friends and all kinds of acquaintances that, that aren't in church like they were 20 years ago. Amen. Somewhere they go, yeah, it's just not worth it. Well, I'm not going to be like that. I haven't come this far to come to the very end to back away. Some people have gotten weary and well-doing. I'm not going to get weary and well-doing. This is it. I mean, this is what all the words you've heard is for right now. So go down a little further. He says in verse 16, confess your faults one to another. Have you ever been to a fault confession service? I've never been to that. How weird would that be? We'd be here for months, wouldn't we? Revi- revival broke out. What'd you guys do? We were just confessing our faults one to another. How weird is that? Well, he's just trying to show you, in, in spite of the frailties of the flesh, do something supernatural. So he says, and after that, he said, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So in spite of your frailty, do something that's supernatural. And then he does in verse 17, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, yet he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave forth rain. And brought forth their fruit. So he's showing you a picture just as Elijah dictated the natural atmosphere for three and a half years, we should be dictating the spiritual atmosphere. Okay? He finishes off a, an end time chapter showing you what we should look like. Okay, hang with me a little bit. Elijah's ministry was not known for great preaching. You don't hear one word mentioned about his preaching, but you do hear a thought pattern that people knew God was with him. They didn't understand him, but they had to admit God was with him. They may, they, just like your friends think you're crazy, but at least they can say God's with you. Amen? So there should be a visible manifestation that the Lord's with you. I like that one preacher said, preach Jesus, use words if necessary. Your life preaches for you. Elijah's life preaches for him. I mean, even Jesus, they didn't go, whoo, what a, man. the Lord, they didn't go, he's an orator, isn't he? No, they said, listen to the authority at which he speaks. There's something backing his words. So he's showing you a picture of, there was so much authority backing Elijah's words, he said, oh, well, by the way, it ain't going to rain for three and a half years. It didn't rain for three and a half years. So there was a, an, an element of so walking with God that nature had to obey him. Indicating the church should be walking in so much authority that there's an obedience to the flesh, the devil, and everything else is subject to you because you're walking like a son. That's the picture he wants. Didn't necessarily mean weird, didn't necessarily mean crazy, but powerful. Powerful, powerful. So go over to Thessalonians, run backwards for just a moment. Buzz over there for a little bit because I want to I get somewhere for just a minute. Go to 1 Thessalonians, if I can find it. And uh, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 5. This is so good. I love this. Look at verse 5. 1 verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Interesting. The word there is the word mimickers. 
you begin to imitate us and imitate Jesus. Now listen to this. One message so liberated them that they said, I can look like Paul and I can look like Christ. Not five years of messages, not 25 years of messages, one message. They begin to imitate Paul and imitate Jesus. Now that's pretty radical. I've heard message after message after message. If I travel with the right guy, if I'm around Brother Shambach, if I'm around Brother so-and-so, that anointing will come on me. They heard one message and they said, I can act like Paul and act like Jesus. They began to imitate Jesus after one message. What was that message? Simplistic authorization. <laughs> they knew that Jesus said, hey, I'm not here, you're here for me, be me. And they went, okay. <laughs> they, they didn't analyze it, they didn't critique it, it was very simple. And see, it's almost boring to us, but you know what it is? This is how the early church started. It wasn't an abundance of teaching, which we should hear more teaching than ever. I listen to Brother Hagin on YouTube, I listen to John Osteen on YouTube, I'm continually feeding myself, but the early church didn't have to have a thousand messages, they had one message and they went, I can be just like Jesus. There's something about authorization that produces liberty and boldness. Just like how many of you, before you got your driver's license, tried to drive a little bit? And you know, you, you, you weren't quite as bold when you saw the police officer come because you didn't have your license. I grew up on a farm in Louisiana, Hillbillyville in, uh, in, in Louisiana, and I drove when I was 10, drove when I was 11. I drove when I was 7. I mean, I drove the car Impala out on the, on, the, on the farm and drove the truck when I was 10, couldn't wait to get my license. And if I was driving when I was 13, maybe hauling hay, I'd see a policeman coming. I thought, oh, dear Lord, I don't even have my license. I'm three years before that. Actually, it was 15 in Louisiana. And I couldn't wait to finally get that little license thing to where if a policeman drove by, oh, I got my license, I'm okay. I'm authorized. I can drive wherever I want to drive. Another example of that is, you know, we preach in Europe a lot. My sister and brother-in-law lived there in Germany, Heidelberg, not Heidelberg, Bonn. I don't know where my sister lives. Isn't that terrible? That's Michelle Grunewald. And uh, she doesn't like to tell people that we're related, but that's okay. I, I can take it. It's no big deal. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And, you know, the, the Autobahn is the coolest thing on the earth, okay, that you can, you can drive with no speed limit. There is nothing cooler than that, okay, <laughs> that you can max it out, that you're authorized to go as fast as you want to go. It's just the most righteous thing on the planet, that, that as crazy as you want to get, you can get as crazy as you want to get. I remember John and Michelle were driving me to Brussels. There's a sticker in their car with a sign through it, and it was 155 miles an hour. It's like 270 kilometers. That because their tires weren't rated for more than that. While we're going 270, cars are passing us on the Autobahn. And I thought, this is the coolest thing on the planet, that their just thought pattern is to max it out. I had a pastor one time driving me from um, Frankfurt down to Zurich, and uh, uh, he drove it at Redline, had the engine pegged at Redline as fast as the car would go, and I said, don't you ever want to take it off Redline and let the motor rest? He was like, why would I do that? Like I was, something was wrong with me. I thought the motor was going to blow up. Their just thought pattern is, if we're authorized to max it out, let's max it out. But see, wouldn't it be weird if you're on the Autobahn and you're, you're buzzing along at 80 kilometers when you should be going 300 kilometers? Maybe you're in a Porsche. Maybe you're in a Ferrari. And you're, you're on the Autobahn. You're going 60. Maybe, maybe 50 kilometers. First gear. People would be like, what's wrong with you? You have, you have 500 horsepower. You should be going 300 kilometers. And you think you're really doing good. Look, check this out, man. I'm in first. No. It'd be ridiculous. That's a, type, that's a picture of the church. Authorized to be just like Jesus and we're satisfied with first gear. See, their thought pattern is, if we're authorized, let's max it out. If we're authorized, max it out. You, they drive differently. They, they floor it in first gear and then hit the brakes if they got to stop. They, we would cruise up to a stop sign. They just go, 
I mean, you're driving, you ride with them like this, you're like, what in the world are we doing? They just think max it out all the time. And it's, it's wonderful if you need to get somewhere because you can drive like a plane. But that, that thought pattern of maxing out what you're authorized to do has got to get in the church. We've settled for, for, for such subpar Jesus. So with that, go to Luke. Go to Luke chapter uh, uh, 9 for a second. Go to Luke 9 and uh, look at that for just a minute. Luke chapter 9. It's so good here how Jesus makes this very, very, very plain. Look at Luke 9. Look at verse 1. Luke chapter 9. Now he's got his disciples here and he needs to duplicate his ministry. So what does he do to duplicate himself and spread himself out more? He says in chapter 9, verse 1 of Luke... Then he called his twelve disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over devils and to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Guess how long it took them to start having his results? Instantly. Say instantly. Did he wait? they wait five years? No. Six years? No. When did they start getting results? Instantly. Well, you say, well, that was the twelve that were around Jesus. Of course they would have done that because they traveled with him. Okay, go to chapter 10. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Watch this. After these things, the Lord appointed another 70 also, sent them two by two before his face unto every city and place, whether he himself would come. Guess what happened to those 70? How long did it take them to start instantly duplicating his ministry? Instantly. Did it take five years of preparation, one year of preparation? Now, preparation is not lost time. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about we think sometimes we don't qualify. Jesus qualified you. Okay, and if you look back in, in the chapter nine, was the guy came up to came up to John? John tells Jesus, "Hey, Lord, there's a guy over here. He's casting out devils in your name, and he doesn't even travel with us." And the Lord said, "Well, if he's not against us, he's for us. He wasn't even authorized, but he had enough brains to see what worked. He got the same results as Jesus, and Jesus hadn't even authorized. He said, "This guy's got so much power, I can mention his name." And even the seventy said, "Lord, it freaked them out. They said, we're." We're getting devils uh, coming out in your name. They're subject to us. And the, and the Lord goes, well, hello, I beheld lightning fall from heaven. Like, that's no big deal. Of course they're subject to you. He said, rejoice that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Obviously they would be subject to you because I authorized you. Obviously they would bow to you because I authorized you. Mm, 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 mm. Those, those demons freaked out. <laughs> they said, are you come to torment us before the time? They knew exactly what was going on. The King of kings and Lord of lords encased in flesh. God encased in flesh. All of a sudden, operating in Adam's authority. Listen to me. Operating in Adam's authority authorized them. Woo. And then his own authority authorized them. And did it take them a long time? Was it difficult for them? Did they go, now if I can get in the flow, you know, if I can, just do, if I can, do, if I can get a little Elvis flow going, then we'll do miracles. No. It's amazing, isn't it? Now, I, I, you, know, you know the story. You've, you've probably heard it many, many times, because I know you know this. But I'm just trying to show you how we're supposed to finish. Kenneth Hagin, years ago, had a minister that had full-blown sugar diabetes. Remember that? A pastor friend of his? And was going to travel with him for a couple of weeks. Now, he had full-blown sugar diabetes. He has to adjust his insulin with his, with his, uh, 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 with his you know, manually. His pancreas is not producing the proper amount of insulin, so he has sugar diabetes. Well, this pastor is going to go with Kenneth Hagin, and uh, he travels with him. And the first night he's with him, now Brother Hagin said, Hey, while you're within my realm of authority, you won't register any sugar. 
And that pastor goes, really? And that night he ate cakes and pies. What he was supposed to? He ate cakes and pies. He checked out his sugar level. And he goes, oh, my God, my sugar level is normal. He goes, it beats anything I've ever seen. And he told Brother Hagin, man, I wish I could do that. Brother Hagin said it doesn't come by wishing. It comes by believing. There was such a residue of authority from Kenneth Hagin in that man's body that for two weeks after he dropped him off, his pancreas still registered the proper amount of sugar. All because Kenneth Hagin developed his authority to say, while you're near me, your pancreas will come alive. Giddy up, amen? Well, you know what that pastor eventually found out and got the thought pattern of Jesus was beaten so that he wouldn't have to be and got healed of sugar diabetes. But, but that's walking in so much authority that people can get near you and can get healed. Jesus told him, he said, you t- oh man, I might preach a little bit this morning, hang with me. He said, you tell people when you get near me, you're, you're getting near the kingdom. Ooh, hallelujah. Tell them when you get near them, they're getting near the power and the liberty of the kingdom of God. And he showed him what that kingdom was. He went up on that mountain. He said, let me show you what that kingdom is. All of a sudden, it began to radiate through his pores. It began to come through his hair. It made him white like snow. That kingdom so radiant, it couldn't be con- contained in his flesh. And Peter said, my God, let's build something. Let's build some tents. Let's build some tabernacles. Yeah, that kingdom is a kingdom that will not be defeated. It's life everlasting. They put a piece of firewood in the presence of God. They put it in the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. That firewood came alive and started budding. He's just life everlasting. And Jesus said, I've authorized you. And instantly, they start doing the same thing. I remember years ago, I was on the God Channel in Newcastle, England, you know, over there in Europe. This was before they moved down to uh, Jerusalem. I was doing a teaching on the gifts of the Spirit at the Bible school there. So they had me on TV to interview me on gifts of the Spirit. And they had an actor that was not born again interviewing me, okay? They had hired him to read the thing stuff. So he's talking like this. He goes, Joe, Joe, you saw you had a person that had no fingers. Get fingers. I said, yeah, that's right. I was in a service where uh, uh, the youth was talking while I was preaching, and I couldn't get them to stop. So I walked back. I usually do this, and I'm going to do it today. Uh, the youth group was talking while I was preaching, so I thought, well, I'll walk back and try to get them to stop talking. I came back like that, and they still talked while I came back to them. Not because of reverence for me. I was frustrated because they needed to hear the Word. So I said, you know, you guys need to be hearing the Word. And they still talked. I said, okay, everybody under 21, stand up. And they still talked. So I'm trying to tell them, you know, the Lord wants to use them, and they're going to respond quicker than we will. And they still talked while they were standing up. So then I had a word of knowledge. The Lord said somebody had damage in their knuckles. I thought arthritis. And uh, this woman came down. She had one finger like this, and these fingers were cut off. I said, Lord, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking arthritis, <laughs> not no fingers. Well, you know, I said, Lord, thank you for new fingers. For her, boom, her fingers grew out right there in front of everybody. Now, the youth group got real quiet when I saw that lady get her fingers. So this guy's asking me about that miracle, and I said, he goes, well, tell me about some lady had her fingers helped. I told him, and he goes, oh, my God. He starts freaking out. So, because he's not, he's not saved. <laughs> so, so this lady came up and started talking to me in between the breaks because my, my, my interviewer was, anyway, bless his heart. So this lady said, hey, do you know that this Newcastle area is where Wigglesworth grew up? I said, yeah, that's where he got baptized in the Holy Ghost, yeah. She told me the story about Wigglesworth. Um, remember one of the times, uh, she told me this story. She was almost like 90 years old, so cool. She goes, remember when Wigglesworth went to that funeral that one time? Amen, answer that phone. Praise the Lord. No, I'm just messing with it. No, that's all right. Uh, I was going to answer it for you. I said, well, you need to be in church. <laughs> the Holy Ghost comes on Wigglesworth and uh, uh, tells him to go to this funeral. There's this lady that's, that's gone home to be with the Lord, which we know it's far better to go home to be with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Never get sad for somebody that goes home to be with the Lord. Get sad for you because you miss them. 
But the Holy Ghost came on Wigglesworth and said, go over and raise that lady up. And uh, as dramatic as that is, it even gets more dramatic. The Holy Ghost said, this is special faith, said, pick the woman up and throw her against the wall. So think of what the family's thinking like. You know, he goes to this memorial service for this woman, a funeral for her, and goes and picks her up out of the coffin and throws her against the wall and says, walk in Jesus' name. Boom, she hits the floor. Wigglesworth's not even phased. Uh, you know, he picks her up the second time, throws her against the wall. I said, walk in Jesus' name. Boom, she hits the floor again. Now, I would have got out. I would have said, excuse me. I'd have got, I, I would have crawl, crawled out of that church. I would have got, you talk about getting out of the meeting so fast, I would have gone by the family, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, oh, my Lord. I would have, I mean, think about picking the, the lady up, throwing her against the wall twice. Wigglesworth's not phased. Well, see, that's special faith, gifts of the Spirit. Third time, picks her up, throws her against the wall. I said, walk in Jesus' name. Boom, she comes alive. She goes, I'm, I'm in heaven talking to Jesus. All of a sudden, you're screaming at me, walk in Jesus' name? Okay, now that's cool, but what's the platform for that? What was his teaching? Righteousness, name of Jesus, faith, all the things that our group thinks are boring now. Okay? The very, the very basics that builds a platform for that kind of demonstration is right there. Okay? Now, guess what? You've been hearing that all your life. If you got in this 10 years ago, that's what you've been hearing. If you got in this 30 years ago, that's what you've been hearing. So you have that in you, that foundation for the power of God to be in operation. And see, when Jesus' ministry, he did not make it complicated. He made it very easy. So go over to Matthew. Watch. Go to Matthew 28. Hang with me. I want you to see this just for a minute, because this is what we're supposed to look like before we leave. It's without weirdness. It's without strangeness. It's Jesus. I mean, sometimes it seems extreme. That is kind of extreme, throwing a dead lady against the wall. But uh, I, I, I've never had to do that. I don't think I ever will, but praise the Lord. Amen. Look at Matthew 28. Look at Matthew 28. Look at verse... But the Lord told me to, I would. But anyway, thank God He hasn't told me to. Look at Matthew 28. Look at verse 18. This is something that you know very well. I know that you know this. But look at Matthew 28. Look at verse 18. Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power or authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. He said, Go ye therefore, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So we know this is the Great Commission. So what did that say in the Greek? In the Greek, he, this was the connotation, if you put it together. He said, I'm giving you freedom of action. I'm giving you a right to act on my behalf. That freedom of action is pretty radical. In other words, we know it as power of attorney, but he took it one step further going, I'm, I'm giving you freedom of action. You can be in my stead or my place. I'm not here. You're here for me. Now, you know, uh, how many of you like Clint Eastwood? Everybody know Clint Eastwood, you know? We all love Brother Eastwood, don't we? God, God bless Brother Eastwood. Man, when I was a kid, my dad would take me to Magnum Force, you know, Dirty Harry movies, and my mom would take me to church. Thank God my mom took me to church, Amen. I saw Clint Eastwood movies when I wasn't supposed to see them. You know what I'm saying? I was too young. And they were bad movies, but my dad didn't care, you know. But you remember the Dirty Harry movie where he has the 44 Magnum? You remember that? And all the confusion. He goes, you feel lucky, punk? He goes, I can't remember if I've shot five times or six times. Go ahead, make my day. And I, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, that's like the most iconic scene of all where, where Eastwood goes over and does that. But you know what? It's not real. It's a movie. He's acting. He doesn't even like guns. He's from California, so guns make him nervous. But you know what happened was? They got the script, they got the director, and, and they tell Clint, uh, Clint, now I'm going to get you a fake gun, because I know you don't like guns. So we're going to get you a fake 44 Magnum. But at one point here, I'm going to go, action! 
and I want you to walk over to that guy that's on the ground. I want you to make you think he's gonna, you're going to blow his head off. So, you know, he, he's a professional, so he learns his lines, and he gets there, and they get all the cameras set up, and, and the director goes, quiet on the set, and they go, action. And he goes over to all the confusion. You feel lucky, punk? I can't remember if I shot five times or six times. Go ahead, make my day. And, man, that guy on the ground thinks he's going to blow his brains out. But, but see, it's not real. It's fake. See, he got a script and read it, but he's an actor. He, he, he acts like he's going to blow his head off. Why can he be so bold about that? Because he knows his lines. Okay? I've got a holy script right here that's eternal. That's a script that doesn't even count for anything. I've got a script right here that, that, that will last forever. See? And the problem is, the reason why people aren't bold with that script is they don't know their lines. Wouldn't it be weird if all of a sudden the director went to Clint Eastwood? Action! He goes, in all the confusion in the world, do you feel lucky? No, hello! He's not acting like he's really a police officer with a 44 Magnum. Well, the sad part is most people in life in Christianity, they think they're the, in the movie, they think they're the guy on the ground about to get shot. And then they hear the word a little bit, and they might think, well, I might actually be Clint Eastwood. In the movie, you're not the guy on the ground. You're not Clint Eastwood. You're Jesus in the movie. You're acting out his part in the earth, and your script is right there. And the more, you, the more those lines you get in you, when the devil comes to you with something that's not real, you go, it is written! Because it comes from a whole different place than, it, 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 is, it is written, uh, uh, by, by stripes Jesus, I'm healed. It, 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 it is written, I have name curse law. No! You've got, you've got the Holy Script that gives you freedom of action. You don't have to wait for an unction to command something in the name of Jesus. You command. <laughs> I remember my wife, Colleen and I, we were living in California for a while, and we came back to Tulsa for Winter Bible, and we went over to some friend's house, and uh, we were in this little van, and our daughter Lauren was with us, and we were at the Dunnick's house, if you know, they have kind of a circle drive, and we pulled up in their house, and I told Lauren, our daughter, and Colleen, as I pulled in, I said, I can't go any further because there's cars in front of me, so you guys go in that door over there. So I stopped the van, and I went to back up because I couldn't move anywhere. And I looked back behind me like that. And uh, Colleen and Lauren saw some of our kin folks in the window and stood there. I didn't know Lauren, uh, Colleen had stood there. I backed the van up and ran over my wife. All of a sudden, I heard Colleen screaming, bloody murder. <sighs> I thought, oh, my God, I ran over Colleen. I pulled the van forward. I got out of the van. Colleen's laying on the ground screaming. Lauren's standing there like that. Little kids came running up. Dogs and cats came running up. I mean, it was just it was crazy. I'm like, oh, my God, I just ran over Colleen. I walked up to Colleen. I said, I command your ankle and your leg to be healed right now in the name of Jesus. I said, get up. And Colleen looked at me like, have you lost your mind? I said, get up. And I picked her up like that. The power of God went up and down her body like a heater went up and down her. She goes, my God, my God, this is real. Instantly made whole. Well, I stood there and went, <laughs> started making animal noises because I thought I just ran over my wife. And uh, <laughs> so we go walking into the party. My sister Michelle goes, How you doing? I go, Doing, doing good, good, real good. You know, because I'm freaking out. I just ran over my wife. No pain the whole party. Uh, she flew to Day I flew to Daytona the next day to preach. She flew back to California. No, no pain, ne never any pain. And was that gifts of the Spirit? No, that's the name of Jesus. He's authorized you. So see, we have freedom of action. You set the tone with your authority. 
And the reason I'm preaching on this, this is what he wants us to finish like. You set the tone with your authority. No one else sets the tone. You set the tone. We keep waiting for somebody else to do it. You set the tone. Well, it's up to the Lord to move you into that position. He already moved you into that position 2,000 years ago. He's waiting for you and I to set the tone. Let that sink deep into your spirit today. He's waiting on you and I to create change. You know, years ago, <laughs> hang with me, I'm going to close here in just a minute, but you got it so easy to preach to, I won't preach long. I won't come back tonight and we'll get into everything else. A buddy of mine was going to take me to a meeting, and uh, I was ushering in a church in Tulsa. I'd worked for a couple different ministries, did not want to be in the ministry. I wanted to help the ministers. I did not want to preach. They tried to ask me to preach. Oh, God, no, I don't want to do that. And uh, so my buddy makes me go do this camp meeting with him, okay? We get there. I'm not full-time in the ministry. I'm ushering in a church in Tulsa. I'm not full-time. I'd been working for ministers, didn't want to be in the ministry. I get to this camp meeting. We got off the plane, and the cameras met us as we got off the plane. They want to interview you because they put posters all over the town. Jesus is your healer. And they wanted to interview us. I said, man, don't interview me. Interview my buddy. This is what my buddy did. He did Elvis Presley. He went just like this, and he goes, he goes like this. I went, oh, my God. You know it's Ross. He goes, I dare you. <laughs> he screamed this. He goes, I dare you to bring the lame, the halt, the, the withered to the meetings. Bring them from all around the lakes god will heal them i thought oh my god just ask him to come to the meetings he goes i dare you to bring the sick this is in front of the camera and then he does, does elvis after that does all this weird stuff i was like dear god just ask him to come don't don't dare them and do elvis at the same time <laughs> that that will mess up the force or whatever <laughs> just including those two together is not right you know so i was just i just kind of tucked my head like oh my god what's this gonna be i was freaking out you know so we got to the meetings, and uh, I preached that Sunday morning, and he was going to preach that night. So I preached that Sunday morning. It was horrible, hideous. I had a lady come up to me afterwards and say, don't try to do this for a living. <laughs> I'm serious. And I, I, said, I said, I get it. You, I said, actually, I told her you weren't the first lady to say that to me. I was in a meeting up in New England. I had nine people filled with the Holy Ghost. And the lady goes, hey, don't try to do this for a living. I was like, what? What are you talking about? So it was so bad, you know, at this meeting. So this lady goes, hey, hey, don't, don't try to do this for a living. I, I get it. Okay. So the meeting was horrible. You understand what I'm saying? Horrifically bad. Dry as corn shucks. Remember we used to roll water out to people while they are preaching? It was just hit. It was just bad. So, so that Sunday night, my buddy's going to preach, and I had preached that morning, and he was waiting to come in because the music was so bad. Your music's so good, you want to come in and hear because it brings the presence in. This music was hideous. It was, it was bing a ching a ling ding ding It was nothing about what Jesus did. It, it, was, just, it, was, hor it was just horrible. And he, Ross goes, I can't go out there. You know how he is. There's no way I'm going out there. I said, oh, God. So I go out and stand there waiting for Ross to come in, and I'm thinking, man, the time's going. He needs to come in here and preach. And I'm standing there, all of a sudden, had a discerning of spirits happen. Remember, I'm a young man living in an outpouring. Young men see visions. Gosh, I am getting old now, but anyway. So I look up, and there's two angels standing right there, big eight, nine, ten feet tall. Look, look, like, look like linebackers. Now, I'm a word guy, not a vision guy. So I'm like, oh, my God, there's two angels standing right there. I just ducked my head. I looked up like that, and they're still there. I ducked my head, looked up like that, they're still there. I'm like, dear Lord. Looked over to the side, and there were children. They had children's church in the building there, so there were angels all around the kids, too. So I thought, you know, about those two angels looked so purposeful. Look, they didn't, didn't change their expression. They just stared right at me. And I thought, man, I thought, I'm not going to bother them as long as they don't bother me. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I really did. I was freaked out. I thought, I have, I, I, you know, I don't know what the protocol is as they're standing there. I'm not going to say a word. So my buddy comes in. He goes, hey, Joe, you got something? I said, nope, 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 don't have a thing. Don't have a thing. Nothing, nothing. I said, preach, preach, preach. 
he gets up and starts preaching for a few minutes, and he, uh, the Holy Ghost says to me, those angels have come to deliver a woman a new heart. I thought, well, that's cool, man. I thought, well, my buddy will call that out. So at the end, he didn't call that out, so he just got something. I said, well, okay. I said, there's somebody here who got heart trouble. This lady got up and came walking down, and I said, that's right, you need a brand new heart, you know, because the Lord said they came to deliver a new heart. So prayed for her, she fell out of the power, she got up real vibrant. I mean, just vibrant, just different. I mean, on the way down, she, looked, she, she had congestive heart failure. She looked like she could die before you could pray for her. So I'm thinking, Lord, heal her and heal her quick. Well, she, she hopped up, just woo. Well, uh, she went back to her seat, vibrant. My buddy gives the altar call. Her and her whole family came down and got saved. So she gets healed and saved. That was Sunday night. Monday, she goes back to the cardiologist. She said she goes walking in there, and he goes, wow, what happened to you? You seem kind of like you got energy and everything. She goes, I went to this crazy church service, and I'm healed. And he goes, well, I'll be the judge whether he healed or not. Did an EKG, did another EKG, did another EKG. He did like six EKGs. He goes, man, I don't know what's going on with you. You have, you have a perfectly flawless heart muscle, like the heart of a 17-year-old. The doctor so freaked out, he called the news media. The news media came. You know how when you have visitors come, you don't want it to be a freak service. It was a circus service. It was do-do-do-do-do, like the flying young man on the trapeze. It was the craziest. I was even scared, and I'm not afraid of anything. I was like, oh, my God, this service is scaring me. Lo and behold, the news media was right there. You know, this was years ago, and the news media was there. I didn't know who they were. They came to make a story of the service, and so that was Wednesday. Come Friday night, as we come in, you know how you have your foyer over there? There were the foyer was packed with people with candles, people with incense, people with crystals. One lady brought me a purple amethyst. I'm like, what is going, where did all these people come from? It's crazy. And uh, the paper came out that afternoon, angels bring woman new heart. Christ redeemed her from the curse of the law. They saw that article and they just packed in. And I'm telling you what, my Ross preached the gospel that night. And all these people came forward to give their life to the Lord. I mean, they came, it was crazy. One lady was possessed of the devil. That's what I was talking about. Went slivering down the middle aisle like a snake. And uh, now, how did we get all those miracles? Great preaching? No. No, they said, don't do this for a living. How did we get, how'd we get those people saved? Ross, set the tone for the meeting. I dare you to come. God will heal you. So your authority sets the tone for Everything. Everything. You, you set the tone with your, the way you speak the word over your house. You start with your family, start with your own self, then you start with your church, start with your nation, and you set the tone. I remember a meeting I was in a date, I'm closing right now, I remember a meeting I was in Dayton, Ohio years ago. I was trading off with another evangelist, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, oh, Assembly of God evangelist, wonderful brother. Oh gosh, uh, what's his name? Dwight Thompson. He would preach a service, and I'd go preach a service in Cincinnati, and I'd come back to Dayton, we're trading off. Now watch, just I want you to see this. I, I, we were trading off, trading off, so I wasn't in his service, he wasn't in mine. I'm preaching in Cincinnati while he's preaching in Dayton, vice versa. So I came back maybe after the second night, third night. And as I came in, had a little vision, I saw about 300 people lined up, and I saw myself laying hands on them for their backs to be healed. Just a little, real short little vision. So I thought, wow, I guess I'll pray for backs tonight. So I began to preach, and there's a lot of people there. The, the crowd was, I don't know, maybe a couple thousand people. And I began to preach a little bit, and I said, okay, let's pray for people's backs. So everybody kind of lined up, and there was a good crowd of people probably from that wall all the way to that wall, and I said, now listen, I'm going to lay hands on you, and every single one of you is going to get healed. And everybody's like, okay, cool. And there was a couple people that were in so much pain, they had to have some people help them stand there. So I said, no problem, help them stand there. Now watch, I went, took, off, <laughs> took off on one end, you know, 
and be healed just name, be healed just name, be healed just name. And people are like, oh my God, I'm healed, I'm healed. I look over and my daughter, Lauren, is probably 15 at the time. She had just laid hands on, I don't know how this happened. She laid hands on somebody on crutches. The person threw their crutches, started dancing, and they were instantly healed. I finished the prayer line. I walked over to a man that was in a wheelchair. I said, you know what? It's time for you to come out of the wheelchair. I said, get up. Boom. Instantly comes out of the wheelchair. Go to the next person in the wheelchair. Time for you to get up. Boom. Instantly healed. Come out of the wheelchair. I went to the third person. They shook their head. I said, you just saw two people come out of wheelchairs. This would be a good night for you to come out of the wheelchair. <laughs> Boom. That third person instantly healed. Okay. Pastor Pat sent me the deal. There was a lady that was there, had cancer all through her brain, didn't even pray for her. She went back to the, doc, the oncologist. He said, I don't know what happened to you, but I have no trace of cancer in your brain. Pat said, the pastor said, it seemed as though every single person in the building that had something physically wrong with them was instantly healed. Guess how that happened? For two weeks before the camp meeting, they read the verses 24 hours a day, and the Lord healed them all. It doesn't matter who the preacher is, somebody's got to set the tone. You could have had a donkey get up and go, Mah, or lamb or whatever, and, and because they said, and the Lord healed them all, the Lord would have healed them all. See, so we, we desire to have the fullness of Jesus' ministry, and he's waiting on us. We desire to have the fullness of Jesus' ministry, and he's waiting on us. Use your authority. The picture he pictures of you, he pictures the church in the last days like the ministry of Elijah. Bold, daring, miracles, power. So connect the ministry of Jesus with that. You got mercy, you got kindness, you got goodness, you got grace. So speak the word. I know we all know this because we're all here on Tuesday morning, but this is what he wants to see right before he comes back. Because the results that we crave in our spirit, the results that we desire, they don't come about by, I mean, it, it's, it comes about by several different ways, but the number one way is knowing that you've been authorized. I mean, you need to pray in tongues more than you've ever prayed in tongues before. Right, right now, you need to pray in tongues more than you ever have. You need to hear the word more than you ever have. But the number one thing that's going to cause you to function like Jesus is authorization. That 12 and that 70, I mean, they just went, okay. <laughs> So simplistically as kids, let's go, Lord, you gave me your authority. I'll speak over my kids. I'll speak over my family. I'll speak over my job. I'll speak over my household. Amen. And watch Jesus get to do what he wants to do. I know there's thousands of hours of messages. You've heard more messages on, on the authority of the believer, I know, and they're wonderful. So let's act like we know this. <laughs> Amen. So when symptoms come, go, are you kidding Things come that are obstacles? Are you kidding? No. I was talking to Pastor Tony about Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Jesus used his faith for obstacles, the mountain, for desserts, figs, figs. You can use your faith for figs, dessert, obstacles, and then your desires. He said, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them. So we, we've gotten this notion that, that it's hard to get this to work sometimes, and it's easy. He's watching over his word to perform it. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. So let's set the tone. Let's, right now it's February. Let's, uh, let's stand up on our feet. We're going to dismiss. Think about what you want for 2016. What do we want? What do we desire? I know the number one thing I desire is that I'm at the right place at the right time. So what I'm going to speak over my life is uh, I, I hearken to the voice of the Lord. Stranger's voice I do not follow. The pathway of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. Speak some things out over your life that you desire this year. 
I desire a heightened awareness of the power of, of our Savior. There's certain things I desire, so I'm going to speak that out. So let's just do this before we dismiss. Father, we thank you for, for, for this, this church, this school, the destiny you have over Brisbane, Australia. Lord, we thank you for what part this church has to play in it. We decree over all of our lives. We pray for our kids, our families, our jobs. We decree your word over us. We thank you that greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. We thank you for great grace upon this church, Lord. A great amplification of your voice in the last days over this church, Lord. We thank you for, for those in the region round about hearing of a pool of Bethesda, hearing of the goodness of God, hearing of the ministry of Jesus right before the coming of the Lord. We thank you for it, Father. We give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed and encouraged by this teaching and are freshly excited about our Saviour's imminent return and how we should be living in anticipation of this blessed hope. For more information on Rama Family Church or to partner with us in producing more resources like this, please visit rhema.org.au.